Welcome to another great episode of Dream Business Radio. I'm your host, Jim Blum, and the Dream Business Coach. This is the podcast to learn how to create your dream business so you, too, can live your dream lifestyle. By the way, I do say you, too, because you're learning from someone who has very much done what they teach. I've created multiple six-figure businesses, and I do currently live my dream lifestyle aboard my yacht, my, called my floating home with my wife, Stephanie, and our rescue dog, Blue. So buckle up for some truth and straight talk about what it takes to actually create a business of your dreams. I'm the founder and creator of the Dream Business Academy and the Dream Business Coaching and Mastermind Program, and I coach entrepreneurs and small business owners at all levels how to build a business of their dreams so they, too, can live their dream lifestyle. You can find out more about my next Dream Business Academy at dreambusinessacademy.com, www.dreambusinessacademy.com. I'm really excited about this week's show. My special guest is Dr. Richard Schuster. Let me briefly introduce Dr. Richard, and we'll bring him right on. Dr. Richard Schuster is a licensed clinical psychologist, and is the host of The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster, Food for the Brain, Knowledge from the Experts, and Tools to Win at Life, which is regularly downloaded in over 35 countries. On his podcast, Dr. Schuster's guests educate and inspire listeners through their stories, expertise, and passion for helping make a difference in the lives of others. His mission is to help people become the best versions of themselves, and as a consequence, make the world a better place. He's a sought-after uh, media expert, and Dr. Schuster's clinical expertise and podcasts have been featured in such publications as the Huffington Post, NBCNews.com, Glassdoor.com, Reader's Digest, and others. Dr. Richard, how are you doing today? Jim, I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on Dream Business Radio today. My pleasure. You know, so everybody knows I was a guest on Richard's show um, about a week ago as, as we're recording this, I'm sure we have different uh, production schedules, but uh, we really hit it off, and I asked them to uh, come on Dream Business Radio. So uh, for my listeners, um, Dr. Richard, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what made you go down the current road, which is which I would say is very entrepreneurial. Um, is that new? Are you the first one with the entrepreneurial gene in your family, or did your parents or grandparents have some of that? Uh, my my father certainly had that. My my father uh, is a dentist and was in private practice. And one of the things that was really cool that he did was that he would often take us to his office. And this was to teach us lessons, I think, and, and now that I'm an adult and, a, and a, certainly a father myself, he would often tell me when I was in high school you know, how much things would cost and what, what a, a patient would pay for X, Y, and Z. And then he would very proudly tell me that he gave that away for free. Of course, he didn't give it all away for free, but there were times when people would come in and didn't have money and couldn't afford the services they needed, particularly kids. There were times where kids would come in with really bad teeth, and he would oftentimes fix those up and, and not charge them. And that was a very, very cool lesson for me early on, as well as the freedom and flexibility that I saw given his entrepreneurial lifestyle, that when we had things that we wanted to do as a family, he didn't have to sign a form and see if he was competing with one of his coworkers to take time off. He just took time off, and we had really amazing family trips together, did things, and he was always there. That was very cool. So I had that example growing up, to be sure. So your dad has a, sound like a real servant attitude is that where is that where you got yours i would i would imagine 
you know, it's funny. You would think that. You know, I, I grew up, my, my mother it, at one point was a school teacher, and my father was a dentist, and you know, the value of hard work was always important in our family. I got my first job at the age of 14 where I was a, a caddy on a golf course, and the clubs were bigger than me, and you know, worked all through high school, whereas many of my classmates didn't. I, I was fortunate enough to grow up in a, in a very nice area, and you know, but the hard work wa- was always there. And in college, I would say that you know, everybody truly had something to offer me and then I graduated from college, and something kind of funny happened. And I'm not, not proud of it, but I certainly speak to it, is that I think I became very focused on things. And I don't really know why, again, because that it was not my example growing up. But I became very, very interested in, you know, how can I accumulate wealth for the purposes of solely having fast cars and, and boats. And I know you're on a boat, so I'm not anti-boat and anti-fast cars, Jim. But I think there's there's a reason, you know, that this boat was the dream that you and Stephanie had. For me, it was I, I wanted to accumulate things for the purpose of accumulating things. And I, I often uh, I'm a big movie guy, so I make these movie analogies. And the movie analogy I like to use the most for myself was Family Man with Nicolas Cage. Have you ever seen that one? I have. So, so for for the audience, for those in the audience that haven't, it was this weird Nicholas Cage. It was a comedy where he was, I think he was a, like a Wall Street type guy, drove Maseratis and whatnot, and then he was living the life and just very self-absorbed, wanted nothing to do with wife and kids and all of that. And then one day he woke up and he had them. Well, that obviously isn't what happened to me, but I, I didn't want to have a wife. I didn't want to have children. I just wanted stuff. And one day, uh, on any seemingly normal Saturday for me, I was in a really horrific car accident and nearly killed. Uh, The end result of this was that I broke my back uh, severely, injured my neck, and had some organs that were bruised pretty pretty well in addition. But what was very impactful for me in particular was, and I talked about this sometimes, I I go wild with neuroscience from time to time. There's a lot of really neat research on what happens to people and their brain when they're in essentially a near-death experience. And that we, it's been reported from soldiers you know, dating back forever who have been in war, and people started eventually taking track of this, is that when we believe we're in a life-threatening situation where we're, we believe we're about to die, that a lot of people experience a slowing down of time, almost like in slow motion. And so what happened to me in my accident was it was a 5 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon and in the fall and the sun was just kind of coming down. It was at the base of this hill and I swung a left-hand turn and I flat out did not see this silver car which was kind of cloaked by that sun. And, I, you know, it's my fault. I got the ticket and I should have. I'm just grateful the other driver was okay. But as I'm in fully in the middle of that turn and I see this car just screaming at me at full speed, my thought was, I am about to die now. And even though the whole accident itself was maybe a couple seconds, I was really able to have a conversation with myself. And I, and I thought about the pain my family's going to experience when they get that phone call. What type of life have I lived? What's my legacy? How have I contributed and, and I didn't really like the answers that I was coming up with more for myself. So then the accident happened. 
uh, I recovered. And what's important is that in the midst of this, I had I was in the process of creating and growing. We'd already formed it a, a, a technology consulting firm. So I had two business partners, and you know the accident happened, and I convalesced. I rehabbed, and I was able to go back to work after some time. But, Jim, nothing was ever the same for me after that time. And, and when you and I spoke about your cancer, that really resonated with me because I kind of felt like every day was a gift after that. But more than that, it was what am I doing today? And I, I, for a lot of reasons, I stuck it out in that corporate that, or in that uh, environment, that, that business I had created longer than I should have, in part because of fear, fear of letting people down that, you know, were believing in me and, you know, expecting me to make this company into a great thing. But I was increasingly miserable, and I walked away from it. And that was probably the most therapeutic thing I've ever done for myself in my life. And I had no idea what I was going to do next. I had no idea uh, what I was going to do with my life, only that what I was doing was not it. And so I went from 70 to 80 hours a week to zero, and um, really then had to kind of figure it out. So, but, but a massive shift from let me make as much money and as much, get as much stuff as possible to how can I help the world and make it a better place. And as I say this, because I know this is a dream business show, I am not anti-things. I am not anti-capitalism, nor am I anti-entrepreneurship. In fact, quite the contrary. I'm a huge advocate of being an entrepreneur, but from my perspective, and this is something that resonates through my, my show and my podcast, is that your business, your life, to really win, to really nail it, is to focus on helping others. So that means your staff, your vendors, your clients, everything has got to be purpose-driven. And, and I feel as though if, if your mission is nothing more than amassing revenue, that's, that's just not the the right way to do it. So as I've said, that the, the freedom, the time freedom, financial freedom, all of these benefits from entrepreneurship are wonderful and important. But my, my show is predicated around the belief that if we are fulfilling our purpose and put the needs of others before our own, the money, the accolades, and the success, and the glory, all of that good stuff comes as a, as a result of that. No, I agree with that, and um, so this, it's interesting. I, I've helped, and maybe it's just I think we attract like-minded people. I'm, I'm, I've shared with you, Stephanie and I are pretty uh, pretty generous with our time and our and our income and things like that, which, by the way, <laughs> I think I said this on your show, one of the greatest ways to help those less fortunate or, or, or those poor is not be one of them. I mean, that's one of the things that continues to drive me is, um, you know, the ability to set the – because we we have a we have a percentage dialed in, and the more we make, the more we give, which actually feels really good, right? Um, but I, I there was about two years ago, Dr. Richard, I had somebody come to one of my events and said, you know, I'm I'm I really am drawn to your story, and I want to be able to make a difference and things like that, and I want to build a business like that. And I said, you know what, you ought to do though, it's not that you have, you want to curt. In my opinion, you don't hold off the giving because you give according to your means and things like that, but you ought to build a business that lets you give wildly so uh, and, and have an even bigger impact. 
Um, you know, I think some people, and I'm just curious of what your thought on this is, some people feel that, um, you know, it's, I don't know, and I think part of this is maybe society, and boy, I sure don't want to go down this road, but it seems like people who build um, and achieve a certain level of success are sometimes looked down upon, and yet, you know, it's it's really be what you do with your success and things like that is certainly between you and your God or your higher power, whatever you believe in. But anyway, that was one heck of a whopping question. I'm sorry about that. Anyway, do you have any thoughts on <laughs> what I just what I kind of mumbled there? Well, I, I I do agree with you that that you know regarding the gentleman that was at your Dream Business Academy, yeah, you, the giving the giving should never stop, and we definitely should be doing the things that, that bring us the passion or make us feel passion. And, and certainly, and I'll address the societal thing in a minute, but um, one of the things that I think is prevalent in that entrepreneurial mindset is there's always that little bit of fear that pops in. And, and sometimes it's that fear of waiting for things to be perfect. So we make these excuses. We, in psychology, we would refer to this as emotional reasoning, to where we might say, well, you know, I, I, I really want to give, but it, that's a great charity I just heard about, with, with you know, Jim Palmer's talking about, or whatever the issue may be that you want to contribute to, but we might say, well, God, if I just, if I just dedicated that money to uh, social media marketing instead, for example. So we will always be able, based on our life, circumstances and whatever transient issues we're facing to come up with reasons why not. There's a million reasons that we can make in our mind why not. And then we can justify it. Then we can say, oh, see, you know, my car broke down, so I'm really glad I didn't give that money to, to charity. So I loved what you said, one, about having the percentage every month that you give to, that you and Stephanie give to, because if you're earning less, you're still giving. You're just giving a, a little bit less on a percentage-wise. So I think that's really good. And regarding society, I think that there has been – it's interesting because – and this is something I talked to Bob Berg about on my show. It does seem that, generally speaking, in business, uh, that there is more of a trend recently to having purpose-driven businesses. So I see that more, and, and you know, Bob – Bob agreed that that's something that, that seems to be at least on people's horizons more than it has been in the past. Uh, but there is also, you're right, I think that there is um, there's jealousy. I think that sometimes people handle success the wrong way and don't, don't use their money in a really benevolent way of doing it. What's, what's interesting is that we've looked at this from a, from a neuroscience perspective, <laughs> excuse me, a neuroscience perspective, we've looked at what happens in the brain when we when we're generous and when we give, versus when we're the recipient of a gift. So, let me pu I'll put you on the spot here, Jim. Let me ask you a question. If somebody gave you a thousand dollars, happened to randomly say, "Hey, you know, put this to good use," and then you turned around a week later and did the same thing, what would you expect or what would you guess to, would have a more powerful emotional reaction, the person who gave a 1000 or the person who received it, or any difference at all? Um, the person who gives, I think, all, uh, that's what I've learned through, through
my whole kind of metamorphosis after the unemployment and cancer. The person who gives, I believe, receives more than the person receiving the gift. Well, you're, you're pretty close. In fact, most people, because of the way society conditions us, believe that it feels better to receive than give. In fact, what we have found out is that by studying the brains of individuals who are engaged in altruistic behavior, is that the same exact regions of the brain light up when we give versus when we receive, yet our society is focused on taking. So in actuality, the science shows us that we feel really, really good when we help others. But the media, I'm not going to demonize, you know, groups or individuals or whatever, but we, we are a Western society that focuses a lot on stuff and not enough on giving. And, again, there's nothing wrong with stuff, but, but we really do need to give. So it's really pretty interesting. It's a very ancient mammalian system in our brain, and it's, it's called the mesolimbic pathway for those of you who really love neuroanatomy, and, and really wonderful things happen when we help others. That dopamine gets you know, released, which Yeah, let me share this with you. One of my mentors um, – older gentleman's almost 80 now and he told me which was which was honestly news to me but he said not only are are we supposed to give money but almost more importantly we're supposed to give our time because he said jim sooner or later everybody gets in a situation or i'll say most people get in a situation where it's just so much easier to write a check and even if you're writing a check and doing it willingly and cheerfully and all that, it just seems like a task that you know you're supposed to do. But it's always harder to come up with the time to actually just go be with somebody or help them or, or whatever that looks like. Time is, is actually more precious than money for, for, for a lot of people. That's a very good point you bring up and very near and dear to my heart, as you know, because within what we're doing with the Daily Helping is we have our hashtag My Daily Helping Movement. And, and for those of you that haven't heard me yet, at the end of each and every episode, I challenge the audience to go out and do something nice for somebody else, uh, an actual act, especially if you don't know who they are, and post it online using their hashtag My Daily Helping. Because what I'm trying to do is, is this movement is to get a million people each and every day to commit acts of kindness for others. And, and there's nothing wrong with cutting a check. There's nothing wrong with, with doing that. But you're right, Jim. Actually, physically doing something, seeing the reaction it is amazing. I, I often tell people my, probably my favorite thing to do is when I'm in line at the grocery store, I love to buy other people's groceries. I, uh, <laughs> it's funny because when, when you broach this with people, they, they look at you really strangely. Then they start looking around for hidden cameras to see, you know, what show they're on. And then when they get past that, and they're like, really? And I said, yeah, and what's the catch? Just do something cool for somebody else. And so it, it, it just can be an act. It can be, you know, volunteering your time. And for the entrepreneur, as busy as we are, schedule it. Just like we would schedule a conference call, schedule a time to participate in an organization you really believe in. Take, make a day off where you pay for your staff and you all go as a team building exercise. There's so many great ways to do this. So many ways. And so, it's important. Yeah. So Dr. Richard, what made you want to start the daily helping or, or did that seem, did the whole podcasting um, 
you know, platform, as it were, did that give you the impetus to help spread your message? Were you doing something before that? Was it just more of a, a local venture? What I was doing before that, so I, I guess I'll, I'll fill in the gaps in the rest of my story here briefly, is that after I walked away from my IT consulting business, I, I really was doing very little of anything for a little bit, and, which was good, which is what I needed. And I, I happened to be at a grocery store, and I overheard two women talking. This was in the early 2000s. So Facebook at the time, which now everybody and their mother is on, Facebook at that time was really only for college students. And there was a website called MySpace.com, for those of you who remember that, which was kind of the Facebook then. And I heard a couple of parents talking, two, two women talking in a store, my kids on this MySpace thing, and credit cards and security, and, and they didn't really know what they were doing. Again, my, my background was in technology, so I said, yeah, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I know some stuff. <laughs> and I, I kind of shared with them, I'm like, oh, this is amazing. Would you come and speak to our PTO? And I said, sure. And I went and did that. And then there happened to be in the audience a, a guy whose kid went to that school who he was a police officer and a member of that city's uh, police department and their cybercrime division, and we hit it off. So the next thing I know now, I'm kind of on this speaking tour with, this, with the, the police doing these Internet safety speeches. And then at another school, it turned into, hey, you know, we really liked you, and we have a, we're really in need of male mentors. We have plenty of females, but, but we really need males for some troubled male students. Would you be willing to do that? And I said, absolutely. So I started doing that and found that really rewarding. I said, huh, well, maybe this would be something that I could make a career out of. So I applied to graduate school and, and you know, went and got a master's and then a, a doctorate. But for me, it was, it was yes. So I, I'm in this public venue where I'm helping others. And I always knew that as a, as a practicing psychologist that I would have the one-on-one, -on -one, the clinical piece, where at, at a micro level I'm helping. But to do, you know, the public speaking and then podcast came around. So I, I said, well, the podcast would really be a cool way for me to impact society on a macro level. And in most instances, as you know, you know, you, you do a podcast and it goes out there and people hear it and they take the information in and act on it as they will. But you, we don't often hear the ramifications of that. So, it kind of was for me to give me that, that chocolate to my peanut butter that I was getting the micro and the macro impact in, in what I was doing. Hmm. Very cool. Hey, I meant to ask you to reach, go backwards a little bit in, in our conversation. When you had the accident, um, did you lose consciousness or what, what happened at the accident? Did you know instantly that you were still alive or? I did. I did, I did know instantly that I was still alive. I mean, I remember seeing the center council crush into me. I was in shock, for sure, uh, but I, I was conscious. What, what ended up happening was I was T-boned, I was so my car was sent, my airbag deployed, and I was sent back towards oncoming traffic. And what stopped me from going into oncoming traffic was the, the front left quarter panel of my car hit a, a telephone pole, a metal telephone pole. And that's what stopped me. So, I mean, I, I knew I was pretty injured, uh, but 
I, I knew I was alive. I didn't I didn't know the extent of my injuries until I went to the hospital and got checked out. But no, I was I was conscious. Wow. Holy smokes. Um and just out of curiosity, Doctor Richard, when from the time the accident happened till I don't mean till up to today, but how long be was it a matter of hours or days or weeks that did you know this this was a transformative moment in my life that you know, all of a sudden you realize, hey, I've just gone three days and I didn't think about the latest car <laughs> or whatever you were into back then. Like your your whole thought pattern had shifted. It was really a process uh, for me in which I knew I knew what I was doing wasn't for me anymore. But again, because I, I a fear, I didn't have the courage to walk away from it as soon as I needed to. So I stuck it out actually for two years and just feeling worse and worse every day that I was there. And, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, of course, but fear is a massive, sometimes motivator. And in my instance, it was a, a demotivator, I guess, is just the best way that, you know, I just, I didn't take the action I needed to soon enough, but I knew, I mean, I knew after that, I, I, it was, it was one of those things that once I started down this path I'm on now where I started doing the speaking and got into graduate school and working with patients and such, I was able to then put words to it. But at the time, it, it, it was more difficult for me to do that while I was in it. Right. So to, um, we're really quickly starting to run out of time, but I have a couple more questions hopefully I can ask you. Um, talk about the nonprofit you started and tell us a little bit about uh, why you did that and how it's going. Sure. So the, the nonprofit is something that I'm very excited about. The, the, certainly the podcast is, is a lot of fun for me, but I do believe that the nonprofit is going to be even more meaningful. And this is also very story-driven for me, that when my wife and I were expecting our very first child and she was at about 31 weeks, she collapsed and went into the hospital and you know, we're, we're thinking the worst. And so they checked the baby's heart and the baby's heart's fine and uh, what it was was he was actually doing a little tap dance on her sciatic nerve, which is I've never had sciatic pain, but supposedly remarkably painful and debilitating. Well, in that routine investigation, that 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 checkup that they do, because they're there and they they do an ultrasound, they discovered that my wife's amniotic fluid was dangerously low. And for those that don't know or haven't had little guys yet the amniotic fluid is essential for a child to live. And oxygen goes through its sustenance, all of these things, it's very critical. And his levels were so low that they basically told us that, look, you know, at, here we are 31 weeks. If we can't get your levels up, we're taking this kid today. So I'm doing a residency in, in neuropsychology. My wife's a pediatric occupational therapist. We know, both of us know what happens when a kid is born at 31 weeks, and it's not good. So we're, we're freaking out. And they start pumping her full of IVs, and 12 hours goes by, and she gets just enough to let them extend it 12 more hours. And 12 hours becomes 24, becomes 36, becomes 72 hours, becomes six weeks. So the good news is, is that she was able to raise her fluid levels enough for our child to safely develop to full term. The bad news was, while they were high enough for him to live, they were still too low for him to have movement. So he actually spent the last six weeks with his head wedged all the way to the left under her rib cage. So when he was born, 
his head was misshapen. Uh, he was completely unable to move his head to center at all. And really, as a result of that, had some significant developmental delays to where he essentially did not know he had a right side of his body at all. Uh, if anybody has seen The Walking Dead or any of those zombie movies where they show, if you can picture the zombie on the ground that's, that is dragging themselves just by their arms because they don't have legs, that's what my kid looked like when he was trying to crawl and crawling far later than a normal child should. So when he was one year old and we were starting to look for new preschools for him because my wife was changing jobs, we knew that cognitively he was bright, but physically, developmentally, he was very, very delayed. So we went to school after school, and nobody w would be willing to work with us. They all more or less, the company line was, you know, you know, your kid could get stepped on. And from a liability standpoint, you don't want to put a kid, even though he's one years in age, they would just want to stick him with the infant so that they didn't get sued, which I get. Uh, but that is the worst thing you could do developmentally to a kid is to put him with children who are 10 months younger than him just because he can't crawl. And finally, one school said, yeah, you know what, Richard, sure. You know, he might get stepped on. That's okay, but we'll, we'll take him. And so he, he started hanging out with kids his own age, and we got him. He needed quite a lot of therapy, speech, physical, occupational therapy. He kind of needed everything. And so the, the physical therapist would say he needs extra this or extra that. And we would tell his teachers, and the teachers would text my wife pictures that very day of them doing whatever extra he needed. And he not only caught up, Jim, he exploded. And if you saw my son today, you would have no clue. He's beautiful, he's bright, he's outgoing, he can run and swing on monkey bars and do all these things that a normal kid could do, which a lot of people take for granted. I'm, I'm still very emotional when I see him climbing and doing things that I never thought that he could do. So one day after I recorded an, an episode of my show with, with the, a really well-known guest, I, I was talking to my wife that night and really feeling like this is really going to be successful. And I said, God, you know, I would love to cut a check for $10,000 and write it back to that school and earmark that money just for speech PT and OT for kids that just need a little boost to reach their true potential. And then, you know, the proverbial cartoon light bulb goes out over my head. And I said, oh, my God, I'm going to start a nonprofit, and that's what I'm going to do. So, you know, the, the nonprofit has been filed, and I'm just uh, waiting every day for my attorney to tell me that the forms are back from the IRS and I can start taking some money, although some, some people that I, I've interacted with on the show are very excited about contributing both in terms of growing the nonprofit but money as well. So for me, you know, you talk about you and Stephanie are living the dream. If I get to spend the next 20 to 30 years of my life raising money for kids and doing my, my podcast, which helps the world, at least that's my mission, that's a pretty cool way to spend the rest of my career. I would say so. Hey, uh, Dr. Richards, last question. How has social media been able to help either get the word out about your either your podcast, I guess it was probably a fairly obvious question, or your, your uh, nonprofit and things like that? Is social media – can you imagine what you're doing today without social media? No. Um, social media affords me and people like yourself and everybody a public forum where we can connect with the world. It's It's funny. I actually – did my doctoral dissertation on the 
maladaptive the negative impacts of social media and technology and personality functioning. So, you know, I, I wrote for pages and pages and pages about all of the bad stuff that social media can do, do to us and our, our emotional functioning, which is true. But there's a lot of positives, too. And it, it allowed me to connect with you. It allows people to spread the word. And I mean, I, I get calls and emails from journalists that found out about me or the show just because of social media. So I think, and I, I'm going to butcher a bit of a quote by Tim Ferriss. He said in Tools of Titans, he made, made a statement to the effect of the social media, YouTube, these things. It's never been easier to get your message out into the world, but at the same time, it's never been harder to stand out amongst the crowd. So I, I think there's good and bad with everything, but social media is amazing if leveraged properly. Yeah. What a great, what a great uh, conversation. I, I would love to keep chatting with you for another hour or so, but uh, the clock dictates everything. Dr. Richard, thank you so much. How can people learn more about your, uh, your podcast? And also feel free to give a URL for your uh, nonprofit if, if that, in fact, is different. So everything right now flows through the dailyhelping.com, www.thedailyhelping.com, and that has links to everything. The nonprofit isn't up there yet only because, like I said, I'm waiting for the green light from the IRS, but the, the website's ready to go. We're, we're just going to turn it on when the government says to turn it on. And then through the website, you can get the links to hearing the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and then we've also got an app as well, which is available in the iTunes and the Google Play store. So if you've got a smartphone or a computer, you, you can find us pretty easily. Awesome. Dr. Richard, great connecting with you again. Second time in, a, in about 10 days, I think. Yep, that's right. That's right. It was a pleasure for sure. Okay. Hey, folks, that wraps up this special episode of Dream Business Radio. I want to thank uh, uh, my sponsors, Dream Business Academy, and also the Dream Business Mastermind and Coaching Program. You can learn all about both of those programs at uh, my home base, which is GetJimPalmer.com www.getjimpalmer.com. You can still get a copy of my uh, seventh book, Just Say Yes, Create a Dream Business and Live Your Dream Lifestyle at justsayyesbook.com, um, $6.95 for shipping and handling anywhere in the world, $6.95, and uh, we'll ship that right out to you. Um, until this time next week, another great episode of Dream Business Radio. I'm Jim Palmer, the Dream Business Coach, and you take good care.